to walk about his neighborhood, and that day his step took a little bit of extra bounce because things were kind of going his way. And he passed a Walmart or Walgreens drugstore, excuse me, and opened the door and walked in, headed straight back to the pharmacist, and he asked him, do you sell heart medication here? Yes, sir, of course we do, the pharmacist replied. Well, do you sell medicine for rheumatism? <laughs> Definitely we do. How about medication for memory problems or arthritis or jaundice? Yes, we sell the works. Well, do you sell vitamins and sleeping pills, geritol and antacids? Absolutely. Do you sell bifocals and, and hearing aid batteries? Yes, we do. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers, all speeds and all sizes? Good, Bob said to the pharmacist. I'm 92, and I've fallen in love with an 89-year-old woman named Mary, and we want to register for our wedding gifts here, please. <laughs> Some things are urgent and need to happen quickly. Uh, a couple of verses in God's Word that have meant a great deal to me uh, through the years. Uh, two promises that God gave that I want to lay on your heart as I begin this message this morning uh, are this. 1 Kings 8.56 not one word has failed of all the good promises that God has given. Now that's quite a promise from God himself. No, not one promise has ever failed. In Luke 1.37, where it says, nothing will be impossible with God. I'd like to have you think about that for a moment as we pray. I would like to give this morning a brief word of testimony, and, and then I want to ask that you look into God's word with me for what I feel is a surefire pattern in God's word for repentance and for revival. It's an absolute call from God to each one of us today. And I don't think I'm being overly bold because it's in the Bible. But I want to stop just for a moment and ask, would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, I thank you that this conversation uh, between us and you as, as our Heavenly Father is just something that's ongoing that we enjoy, and, and Father, to, in this moment, I pray as we go before your word, you know the faults of this preacher, and I ask that you would just help everyone in this room to see you and the love that you have for them. Father, I ask that you share your salvation and the wonder of a life connected to you with them, and you just take me out of the way. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just implant the words of your word in our hearts and our minds for today and for the days to come. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank David uh, for being up here this morning. And uh, really all of those that choose to come, even when you haven't been well and you've had a cold, uh, still choosing to, to serve and to give a living testimony to how important fellowship and worship is for you. Uh, for each of you men that take the time to prepare our communion meditations each week as well. You know, I, I think that every Christian has a testimony. And sharing mine was once rare for me because I, I used to feel I didn't have anything really spectacular to share. But anytime, friends, that the Lord Jesus Christ comes into a heart and changes it, it's a true miracle. Now, when I was a little kid, I can't really say there was a time in my life that I did not believe in God. And there's a lot of people that way. They believe in God. And, and I used to ride my bicycle around Southland in, in Lexington there. And I'd look around at all the trees and the plants. 
I'd look around at all the bluegrass and all the squirrels jumping out of the trees and, that my dad used to chase out of the trees and out of our attic. And I knew all that. It didn't come from nowhere. I knew that God had made it. And yet I didn't know God truly personally. And you know, it doesn't do much good to just believe about God because if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior, friends, it, it, that alone is not going to help you much. So I was like a lot of people. I was in a precarious position just believing in God. And I, if I were a betting person, I'd be willing to bet this morning that there's somebody here that just believes in God. That you have not personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you think that God, he, he's just, he's out there. I mean, he's a good God, he, and he's taking care of me to this point, and he's always going to be there to take care of me. But it's not true, friends. It's not true. You've got to accept him as your Lord and Savior. So I went along as a teenager into those years beyond middle school, and mom and I, we were attending a, a Southern Baptist church called Rosemont. And my mom's always been very vocal about her faith, and, and I was always at church in youth group. I mean, I was playing basketball five nights a week. I'd play softball when it was available. And every year, mom would sign me up to go to Christian camp at Camp Oneida between Richmond and Hazard, Kentucky. And although I'd heard about sins and I'd heard about salvation, I knew what sins were. I really didn't feel personally like I had anything that I needed to be saved from. I prayed, I read the Bible, I went to church anytime the doors were open, and I was doing fine. Until one day the preacher said to me, Billy, wouldn't you like to be saved? And I knew it was time. Now I know that there are people who would say, let me tell you, I, it's like this in my life. I believe in God, but I really like the feeling that I'm leading my own life. And let me tell you where I was, and if that's how you think where you are, it's an amazing thing. Jesus is always a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He, he will never force a decision and run your life separate from what you allow him to do. He doesn't just come down and smack you on the head for making a bad decision. And often you can go for years and years outside of Christ and never know you need anything. I listened in my office recently as one young man talked about a day that he got married and he went off to college. And as he was sitting up late one night studying at two or three in the morning, he turned on his radio and he picked up a radio station that was being broadcast from Eagle Pass, Texas. And a man came on the radio and he said, today is the end of the world. Now at first he thought uh, it, it was a science fiction program because he loved science fiction and so he listened to what this guy was saying. It turned out he was actually a minister. And he went on to say, today is the end of the world for somebody. But he thought, I'm not that old. I just got married, I'm in college, I'm, life is going great. Uh, it, it's not the end of the world for me. But the radio preacher went on into his sermon. He said, you know, there are also people for whom this chance might be the last chance. Because God said in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, my spirit will not always strive with man. You might never be convicted again to become a Christian. It might really be 
your last chance. And the man said, for the first time in my life, I felt something stir within me, and I realized that maybe I wasn't going to be around forever. He said, at that point, I couldn't picture what the world would be like without me in it. He said, I never knew how the world got along before I was born to start with, let alone that I might not be here someday. And he got down on his knees, and he prayed, and he asked the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of his life. But he said, I got up from my knees, and there were no bright lights. And maybe this has been your experience. There was no mountains that suddenly moved from their foundation. My schoolwork was still there, and I still had to work hard. I, I went to bed, got up the next day, and there wasn't much about me that feel, felt different. I'd done something I knew I needed to begin and do, but I didn't know much about it. And he said it was, it was at least nice to go to church and sit among other people that were Christians, people that felt I was a Christian. And I would say praise the Lord when the preacher asked for it or amen, and the person next to me would look at me as if to say, yep, man, that's great, he's a Christian. But his life really wasn't any different. He sat in church and he felt that it was nice again to be there, but weeks passed, months passed, and he realized something had to change. His life hadn't really done much for the Lord, and, and so one day the preacher was speaking and he was really convicted about his sinfulness. He felt God was speaking to him that day and to his wife, and he got up at that moment and he responded to the invitation. He confessed his faith just like last week, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. They confessed their faith in Jesus. They repented of their sins and they went through the waters of baptism. And his life began to change. And he began to get into the word of God and he wondered, what's the more? Because Jesus said, I came to give life and to give that more abundantly. So what does it mean to have a real abundant life in Christ? He said, after all my exposure to church, there were honestly times where I felt, how could there be anything I don't know? I've heard the preachers preach the same message on a rotation year after year. And he said, I know that sounded conceited, preacher. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, you're right. We usually are conceited. But what he learned and what we all need to discover is it's really true that God has opened the way for us to cross the bridge into a deeper life. You say, okay, Bill, this is week four. You've been talking about this bridge the whole time. What are you talking about? And in case you haven't caught it yet, I'm talking about the bridge of the person of Jesus Christ. The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ that makes it possible for us to cross over from darkness to light, from death to life, from being lost to being found, to being hellbound, to being saved. It means you face yourself as you are, that you come to your senses and commit yourself to Christ. It means you reach that point of repentance that we're talking about today where you say, God, I'm changing direction. My way, I want it to be your way. It's where your heart is broken with the things that break the heart of God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 puts it this way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
I love you guys as a church family, and that's what I want for each one of you. Even if you're just a regular guest, I want you to live a life without regrets. So what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for you? Friends, it means a life that involves the lordship of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as Lord more than 307 times? But he's called Savior only about 20 times. See, the Bible has a lot to say about the lordship of Jesus Christ. One day I was on a trip to a, a place called Rainbow Christian Camp in Indiana. And they rented out their missionary cabins for preachers to go and have times of study and prayer. And as I was going through Isaiah and that suffering servant of Isaiah 53, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I've been preaching about repentance for years. But I honestly don't understand everything about this. I don't know what it's all about. What I do know is this. I want to do what you want me to do. God, I want you to take my life and fill me with yourself. I want you to show me what you can do with this one and only life. And here and now, Lord, I dedicate myself fully to you. And only in that moment did I find something change. See, when you choose to cross over into the deeper life that Christ offers, I know it involves having that moment where you humble yourself and you may be on your knees, you might be on your face at the front of the sanctuary, you might be sitting where you are, but in your heart, you pray something similar. And when you do, friends, you will find God creating a thirst for truth. You begin to hunger for his word, don't you? Don't you hunger for his word the more you come to him? Absolutely. As I grew up in a church, I, I remember we opened the Bible every Sunday and talked from New Testament sermons. And, and I know we opened the Old Testament because I remembered hearing about the Ten Commandments. I, I remembered hearing about a donkey that was made to speak. I remember hearing about the 23rd Psalm. But when I opened myself to the Lord and said, whatever you want for me, and I started getting more and more into the Word, I realized more and more about the power of God's Word and the weakness of my own. And God gave me a burden to pray for people and introduce them to the living and active Word of God, to fellowship with a living Creator. And an amazing thing happened. Friends, you begin to pray for people, and God will give you the opportunity to actually listen to those people and share with those people and draw them closer to God and to feel right with God. Friends, that it comes in repentance and changing our direction and running towards God. And it gives a refreshment that is unlike any other you will ever experience. And that is why I am here today. I believe in the power and in the plan of God for repentance and revival. He has a desire for each of you to know it. And he has a desire for this church fellowship to know it as well. And I'm going to ask you to turn back in the Old Testament in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Now, if you're going backwards in the Bible from Malachi back, it's the fifth book back from the last of the Bible. It's nestled in between the book of Nahum and, Ze and Zephaniah. And let me just say to you, if, if you don't have a Bible, friends, you, you need to get one. If you need one, you see me, you see one of the elders, one of the worship team up here, because it's one thing to hear the Word of God, it's quite another to hear it and see it at the same time. And you really need to get a Bible to, to look and to dig into. 
Now, the book of Habakkuk, he's a prophet that's not known really very well. He's only got three chapters to his book, and you could read all of it in about 15 minutes. But there's a real pattern there for what God wants in our lives of repentance and revival. Now, it doesn't say when Habakkuk received the word of God, and it really doesn't say much about him. But let me tell you what his name means. Tim, this is for you, brother. His name literally means to embrace or to wrestle. If you're from Kentucky, wrestle, okay? Uh, if you're a fan like Tim Ulrey of WWE and SmackDown Live, you know, if one of your favorite actors is The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, or, or Ricochet, or John Cena, you know, then maybe Habakkuk is the prophet just for you, okay? Because his name means to embrace or to wrestle. And he is a man that wrestled and strove with God. But let me just say that when we come to God as well, and you're going to see this as we look at his story, our eyes are spiritually opened. The first thing you have to do if you want to be revived in your spirit, if you want to know the blessings that come from repenting and changing directions, friends, you've got to go to God. You're not going to get over it yourself. The preacher or an elder up here in this pulpit, they're not going to revive the church and you and everything else. And we can stand around forever waiting for a change of heart or a revival within our lives to come, but it's not going to come until you and I go to God. And we take the very first step and we find this. We find that God welcomes us when we come to speak with him. He welcomes us. We begin Habakkuk 1 verse 1 with the simple words, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now the word prophecy there, it's translated in some translations as the word burden. And it can be that way because God burdened Habakkuk with a message. So let me pause here for a moment and ask, does anyone in here have a burden that you came in with this morning? Maybe it's a burden for your spouse. Maybe it's a burden for your finances, a burden for your job. Maybe you came in here with a burden for this church. Well, you need to know that Jesus still says, as he did in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me. I'm going to welcome you, he says. All that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you come to speak with God, friends, you come and you approach him with your burden. Habakkuk approached God carrying a burden for the Jewish nation. And again, maybe you're carrying a burden for your work. Maybe you're, carry, maybe you're carrying a burden for your family, your mom or your dad. Maybe you're carrying a burden for your classwork at school or your job, whatever it is. Everybody has a burden. It doesn't have to be something that drags you down. It doesn't have to be something that just crushes you at all times. But Habakkuk had a burden for the nation of Israel and the people that he loved. And he makes an honest prayer to God. Look at verse 2 in Habakkuk 1. How long, Lord? Must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are ever before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Look at his summary. 
In verse 4, therefore the law is paralyzed, justice never prevails, the wicked him and the righteous, and justice is perverted. That's the world that he lived in. And you know, honestly, he could have been looking at, at us today. A lot of things were going bad in the world that he lived in, and it robbed him of his peace, and it threatened his faith and his relationship to God. And in the world we live in today, Man, we see a lot going on, don't we? Everybody seems to be going their own way. Families are splintering all over the place, right? There's economic, economic problems, moral problems, social problems everywhere, and it's easy to be tempted to look around and say, God must have forgotten us. God, you have forgotten that we're here, but it's not true. God has not forgotten that we're here. We've just turned away from him and his way. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he wrote about a church that he loved dearly, a church called Ephesus. And he said this to him, and he could have been looking right down the corridors of time to Springfield, Ohio, 2019. He said, don't be naive, Timothy. There are difficult times ahead. And as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed. Money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, <laughs> I like that. Profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Now, that's the message paraphrase of that. But as dark as the world may seem, God has not forgotten us. And he did not forget Habakkuk or Israel either. God responds to him in verse 5, and he says to him in a command, look at the nations and watch, and I want you to be utterly amazed because I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if somebody told you. You see, God makes the man a promise. And God makes us promises yet today. Just as he promised then, he promises us to his church. In fact, if you were to put your finger here and flip ahead to Acts chapter 13, verse 41, you would find the disciples there saying the same thing. I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if somebody told you. The very same thing. You see, when you come before God, not only do you find welcome, not only do you find a spirit of invitation, you receive the promise of a new work. You receive the promise of a new work. God's going to work a work in you that you would not believe. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 42, that it was Paul and Barnabas that were involved in saying it there, and, and they were leaving the synagogues, and the people, they invited them to speak further about these things next week. They want him to come back on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. They all wanted to know, what is this new work that God is about to do? How is God going to turn our world upside down? How is he going to take us from a place where it's the same old, same old, and nothing ever seems to change, and the bills pile up, and families continue to splinter? How is he going to change all that? In the book of Acts, we find God saying, 
It's because I'm for you. In fact, Jesus is for the whole world. And no matter what burden you carry, God says there in Acts 13, I've made you a light for the Gentiles so that you can bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of God and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And friends, that includes me and it includes you, every one of you. But it also leaves you without excuse because without Jesus Christ, you're lost. And you have no hope. And in fact, in regards to everything that matters in life, you're dead. But God promised each of us a new work. And back in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, it's Habakkuk answering back to God. And he says this, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, You've ordained them for punishment. In your eyes, they are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. And then he slides back into talking about how bad things are. In fact, Habakkuk is saying to God, you know, God, things look so bad, I don't see any chance of us making it out of this. They're so terrible, there's no way to go through it. And God speaks back to him. I love the encounter of this prophecy because a simple man speaks to God and God speaks back to him and it goes back and forth in a dialogue. Friends, do you see what's happening? In this conversation of honesty and a repentance-willing heart, Habakkuk is showing us that repentance will lead us into a deeper life of faith. By the time he reaches the second chapter, Habakkuk says this in verse 1. So God, I'm going to stand at my watch. I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. I'll look to see what you'll say to me and whatever I am to give, what answer I am to give to this complaint. He decides he's going to talk with God about it. And friends, when the situation gets so hard that you can't do anything else, it's time to stop. And it's time to talk to God about it. He, he, He took his listening ear He took his belief in God. He took his confession and his trust in God. And he said, I'm going to talk with God and I'm going to be ready to act on whatever he tells me to do. And you're going to see that that faithful disciples always listen. Faithful disciples always go to God and they're always willing to change. Always willing to change. He says, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, God, because God loves to talk to his children. But you know, if we're honest sometimes, we really don't want to hear what God has to say, do we? It's kind of like when we're watching TV at home, you know, whether you have Spectrum or Dish or whatever you have, you know, you don't like the show that's on, that's fine. You just change the channel and find something else you like. And we do that in prayer sometimes. We pray for the Lord to do something within our life, and when he doesn't do it, well, we're just not happy with the answer, and so we change our tactics And we think, you know, God must have made a few mistakes along the way. Because if God knew the situation I was in, he would have given me exactly what I prayed for. And if you're not living God's way, friends, if you're comfortable doing things by your own taste, Romans 1.18 says, you're holding them back. You're suppressing the truth by your own wickedness. Well, let's move on. Unfaithful disciples, friends, they refuse God's command. 
a huge part of repentance is simply looking at yourself and asking, am I obeying God's word in my life? It's one of the reasons we look every Lord's Day at our RDA, our recommended dietary allowance at the table of God. And the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, you ought to examine yourself before you take of the bread and drink of the cup. He would say to the same church later on, examine yourself to see whether you're even in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? In other words, if you have said yes to Jesus, you've given up any right to say no to him in anything he asks. And obedience is just bread and butter for the believer's life. Habakkuk said, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. Verse 2 and verse 4, he says, Then the Lord replied, Write down this revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now some versions say it's so that everyone who runs to it can read it either way. But he goes on to say, the just shall live by faith. Now some versions translate that and say the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And I cannot overstate the power that is in that statement. The just will live by faith. It's so key to our faith. Even in the New Testament, the church, they proclaim the same thing. In Romans 1.17, Paul said the God, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. And that's what God said to Habakkuk. He said, Habakkuk, I see what you don't see. I certainly see all that you do. And I want you to get a glimpse of what it is I see among the people that you're praying for right now. And in chapter 2, on five different occasions, he gives a woe, a, a, a heartbreaking reality about their day and time. And you'll see it there in Scripture. Verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 19. He says, I want you to see five things that, that these people are doing contrary to my plan. They're guilty of lining their, their wallets and purses by extortion, and they're lining their shelves with stolen goods. Do you see that, Habakkuk? They're concerned about their own homes without any concerns for the people out on their doorsteps crying out for justice, but it doesn't bother them as long as they can pull down the shade and lock the door. They're secure. Violence is everywhere. He says, do you know that, Habakkuk? Alcohol flows through the streets and the world is secure. Their eyes are too focused on nudity to focus on the unseen reality of God's presence I see it all. And in verse 19, he even says, Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life. Or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it. And he's talking about idols in the land. And, and we think today, in 2019, that's ridiculous. Who's going to pick up a piece of, of wood and carve a little statue and put it on their mantle and say, that's my God? Or who's going to do that with a piece of stone and say, I'm going to worship this now. And yet, we do it every day. If we're honest with ourselves, and the Lord tells him in these things and says in Habakkuk 2.20, so what you need to know is the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then he gives this last point. You know, first we saw that God opened a way 
to cross this bridge into a deeper life. And, and we come to God with our burden. We have to be willing to stand watch and, and look at what God wants us to, to be and think and do and say, God, I want to do the right and follow you. God welcomes us when we come to speak with him. He's ready to do a new thing in our lives and through us. And then we discover that repentance leads to a deeper life in faith. A life that is willing, as Jesus would say to the woman caught in adultery, now go and sin no more. A life that says, God, what you want for my life, that's what I want for my life. You see, lastly, revival and deliverance come through an individual acceptance as Jesus as Lord. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 in the last chapter, he begins a prayer. And he says there, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy. You know, Habakkuk stood in fear of the Lord. And he stood in awe of his deeds. And I wonder sometimes if we really stand in fear of the Lord. As I look around at our culture and see what's on the front page of our newspapers, I don't think that the holiness of the Lord bothers us all that much. But what you do, friends, with what God tells you to do, is a good barometer of whether or not you stand in awe of the Lord. And repentance is simply saying, God, what you have done for others, please do it for me. My sins to forgive, my life is yours, my path to direct, my stains to erase, my eternity to protect. You see, revival follows the same pattern. Your deeds, Lord, do them again. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make your deeds known. And in your wrath, remember mercy. A clear path for repentance and revival is in God's word. And the very first thing you can see is, is in his address. He says, Lord, the very first part of revival is putting Jesus above everything else to make sure Jesus is Lord. And if you really want to find salvation in Christ, it genuinely is an individual decision to seek the Lord. It's nothing your parents could do for you. It's nothing your spouse can do in your place. It's something you have to choose to do on your own. When it comes to repentance and revival in our faith, I love what, what the old uh, preacher A.W. Tozer said. He said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted he said, I believe the problem is we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Billy Sunday used to say, it's like trying to run a gasoline engine on buttermilk. As a Christian, you've got to obey. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in our life. And if you want to see big things happen, it begins in each of us. As we hear John the Baptist's sermon when he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, there's not a person in this room today that has reached the pinnacle of Christendom because everyone here has sinned and fallen short. We all need the forgiveness of God. That's the beauty that we find when we read passages like 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the righteous continue to live by faith, making sure that God is above everything else. What was it Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. You love him with everything you've got. And I want you to notice something else here. As God responds in this prayer that Habakkuk offers, God responds in a suddenness. Look in verse 3. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunshine. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. He breaks upon Habakkuk with, with a suddenness. And God does that for us too. Some of you remember the song Larry Norman used to sing, and later DC Talk picked it up. But it's a song that, that simply said, life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a piece of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. The father spoke. The demons died. How could we have been so blind? I hope we'll all be ready. Friends, we all ought to be ready, not just for a second coming, but we ought always to be ready to testify to what Jesus means to each of us. 2 Timothy 4.2 would say we're to be prepared in season and out of season, all the time, not just when things go well. God comes in suddenness in verse 3, and then we see God searching. His light exposes everything. I'm going to wrap this up here. The next thing I want you to know is to always be aware of Christ's eyes upon you. Friends, the path to revival involves of putting Jesus in the preeminent place of our life, first place, and then we remember his eyes are always upon us. In two weeks, we're going to start our Easter series leading up to Easter. And I'll tell you now, one of the most poignant moments in that whole drama of Easter comes when Jesus is being led from one mock trial to the next and Peter's down in the courtyard warming himself by Satan's fire. And he denies knowing Jesus three times. And the Bible tells us that at that moment he makes that third denial. In Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Friends, when is the last time you locked eyes with the Son of God? When's the last time you got that feeling inside that, that you need to get right with God? that you ought to do something different, that you ought to have time devoted to God in prayer or time devoted in the word. It's not just an inclination. It's the searching spirit of God within you. Verses 6 through 12 of Habakkuk's prayer will show that, that God's power, it looks over the whole world. There is nowhere that we can escape from God's vision. Nobody can hide from God. In fact, he knows what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, boy, I wish he was done. Or maybe you're thinking, I wonder where we're going to eat lunch today. 
And that's okay, because if you were up here preaching, I'd probably be sitting there thinking the same thing. But God knows what you really believe. And God is serious about his work. God is serious about his work, and his work is always about saving and finding glory in himself. Look in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. Jesus himself came. And upon this work, earth, he said, he was always doing his father's work. And that work was always to save. Scriptures say he came to seek and save the lost. Friends, remember, God's eyes are upon you. No matter where you are or what you've done, he loves you. And the last thing is this I want you to catch, and that is that as we submit to God, he will energize, he will stabilize, and he will vitalize your life. Now, I know that sounds like a preacher's words because they all kind of rhyme, but that's in Scripture. Look at the last verse of what he says here. Actually, let's go back to verse 17 first. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. You know, sometimes we are fair-weather believers. It's easy to worship God. It's easy to rejoice. It's easy to celebrate when everything's going right. But when things go wrong, Habakkuk is saying, I still rejoice. Why? Because this is the gift that God gives to those who faithfully look to him. Verse 19 The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. Do you see the words there? He energizes the believer. The Lord is my strength. It's at that place that many of us break down because God really isn't our strength. We're trying to do it all ourselves. And I will tell you, from one who's been on the treadmill of religion, it is impossible to live a godly life by yourself. It's God that does the energizing. The strength is his, and you have to approach him and ask him for that strength in your life. The next thing he does is he stabilizes us. Did you ever think of your life as having the feet of a deer, uh, having the, the, the balance of a deer? I think of my life, and it's, it's up and downs. I mean, life is like a yo-yo sometimes, isn't it? Like you're on this roller coaster smacking you around constantly. But the Bible says if you take Jesus as your Lord, he'll be your strength and he'll make your feet like the feet of a deer. Did you know a deer is one of the most sure-footed animals in all of God's creation? They can be graceful, they can be nimble, and God will make your feet that way and he will show you the path you need to take. But then he also vitalizes people. Verse 19, I love this. He enables me to tread on the heights. He leads me up to high places. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are many ways that I could explain it to you, but one of my favorite comes again from the pen of David in Psalm 91. It's a short psalm, and I suggest you read it all sometime when you have a moment. But the last three verses are promises to you and me. To all who would choose, men or women, to believe in God. And it says this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. I will, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. 
I'll be with him in trouble and I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Friends, have you put your love towards Jesus Christ? Have you had a moment in your life where you have repented and said, no longer my way. God, I want your will to be done within my life. Is Jesus the greatest treasure in your life? You know, the Bible says in Philippians 2.12 that you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's more than just listening and believing. There's more than confessing and repenting, more to being saved. The wisest man that ever walked this earth outside of Jesus Christ was Solomon, and he said in Ecclesiastes 11.1, one of the greatest faults we have as Christians, or as even human beings, is to procrastinate and to wait. Whether it's waiting to, to arrange our own will, or whether it's waiting to take care of our children or, or our plans for vacation, we wait for everything and procrastinate. And I made a bold statement that I believe, uh, not only in the salvation of Christ, but I believe the pattern is here for repentance and for revival in each of our lives. But we have to call upon Jesus as Lord. We have to be willing to put him first and do what he calls us to do. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says, cast your bread upon the waters. There's got to be a decision. You've got to give everything you have for Christ. And it will come back to you and you'll find it after many days. And then it's as if God says, I know what you're thinking. He says, you, you, you want to wait just for the right time. You want to go home and you want to talk about this with your spouse. You want to work it over with your family. And you're going to believe that now is not the right time for you. You're going to want to talk it over with, with a teacher maybe or with a grandparent, anything but dedicating yourself to Jesus now. But he goes on in Ecclesiastes 11, he says, don't hoard your goods, spread them around. Be a blessing to others because this could be your last night. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. So don't sit there just watching the wind. Do your work. Don't just stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Friends, what, what, whatever right time you may be waiting for, it may never come. That's why today is the day of salvation. And you could possibly be sitting here next week, next month, or next year if we're all fortunate enough to still be here. But God admonishes us, now is the time. Don't just monitor the conditions. Don't just look at the clouds or, or wait for the tree to fall. Get on with living the life I have for you. I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning. This is our time of decision, friends. This is a time where Habakkuk's prayer becomes our prayer. And maybe you've got to be honest enough with God to say, right now, the bank account's empty. The job front is bare. My family is, is scattered to the wind. But God, I trust in you. And I'll find my strength in you. And I think you'll find a heavenly father saying, I've been waiting for you to return all along. He's willing to embrace you. He's willing to welcome you. He's willing to share with you the life that truly is life. But it begins with coming to Christ on your own and saying, I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this fellowship and I thank you for their patience with me. Lord, I don't know what's in their hearts or what they're thinking right now for sure, 
but I'm glad you do. Father, I know for every believer here that, that just bears upon their soul the scars of a veteran of the gospel. You're still taking them closer to yourself. You are still sharing blessings with them that, Father, they didn't know.